Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Good morning! Wow, another gorgeous day, and I am happy, joyous, and free, and I am blessed to have a way of life that leaves me feeling, when I'm not crying, uh, truly joyous, because while I do a lot of stupid things every single day, and pretty much every night when I put my head on the pillow, I go, what was I thinking? The one thing I know is that I didn't kill today, and that gives me a tremendous sense of inner joy and inner peace. Today, we are delighted to be joined not only by our mascot, Little Rico, our rescue from Puerto Rico, but by an incredible, legendary social media influencer for the animal rights vegan movement, John Oberg. John, tell us how you are able to get so many eyeballs for our important message uh, that literally hangs, the, the future of the planet hangs in the balance, that we can get people to understand that they don't need to kill to survive. How is it that you're able to communicate to so many people? Hey, Jane, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you and Rico uh, to talk about the mission that we share, which is making the world a kinder place for animals. And the way that I've done that is through strategically using social media and the power at our fingertips to really reach as many people as possible. And so I looked at the opportunity at hand, the opportunity to reach millions of people from all over the globe as a real opportunity that we should all seize upon as animal activists and as people who recognize that once people know, they will change. And I've seen that in my 10 years as an activist that when people are confronted with the reality that farm animals face in today's world, they are very much open to making changes that are going to make a real positive impact on these animals. And so I look at social media as this opportunity. How do we make that happen? And uh, I've developed a strategy over the years. And a big part of that strategy is just sharing the cruel reality that farm animals face with the general public. And it's not a surprise that these things tend to go viral and get a lot of views. It's because the vast majority of people are very much opposed to the standard practices that farm animals face in today's world. So getting these the cruel realities in front of these people is not that hard because people are already on our side. Even if they're eating meat, they look at this and say, even though my behavior is conflicting with my ethics, I do agree with you that this cruelty is wrong and it's something that I'm not comfortable with. So many people are very willing to raise their voices for the animals. By the way, if you see me looking down, it's because I'm sharing this on social media to other pages I manage and inviting people. And if you see John looking down, it's because he's sharing it on his phone hopefully to his followers. So uh, let me say this. Uh, I firmly believe that um, most people are compassionate 
And yet I also see people go into what I would call deep denial because society has said for some reason that these animals don't count. And I think it was Martin Luther King who said, there is a, a horror that will ensue every time we thingify another being. So in some cases, human beings have been thingified based on their color, their gender, their ethnicity, their religion. And now, uh, even though that is still obviously a challenge for the human species, we are thingifying certain beings. So we've determined that dogs are special, at least here in this culture, in Korea, uh, in certain areas, not the entire uh, the entire region, but certain people have thingified dogs and they torture them for dog meat. Um, so we are horrified by that. Oh my God, that's monstrous, which it is. But then we do similar things to pigs who actually have a higher IQ than dogs, not that that should matter, um, and cows and chickens and lambs and goats and turkeys, and we think nothing of it. And if you confront people with that, they shut down and they often don't want to hear your message. They literally will turn on their heels and walk away because you've shattered their illusions. People want plausible deniability. They want to say, oh, I didn't know. And so it's like, see no evil, hear no evil. Um, how do we shatter through that? Because uh, I think that once people see, and this is exactly why I started Jane Unchained, because the mainstream media does not show the images. They show the phony images of happy cows roaming about when then we, with our own eyeballs, see the reality of cows dropping dead from the heat or being dying of frostbite. Uh, right now, animals are being driven through heat waves through the United States, um, hundreds and hundreds of miles without food or water. They are suffering extraordinary hardship, some of them dying on the road to the slaughterhouse. And when you try to show the images, people say, oh, that's shocking. Almost like we're being rude to show the truth. How do you get around that sort of catch 22, John? Absolutely, Jane. Farm animals have absolutely been thingified, as you say. People tend to look at uh, the meat on their plate as differently than the cats or dogs that they may have in their homes. But you and I, and so much, such a growing purport, uh, portion of the audience out there and, and this and society as a whole, is recognizing that these animals aren't different. And so it's really up to us to get people to start looking at these animals differently. And I have found that People may feel uncomfortable when confronted with the truth and the reality the farm animals face, but a larger portion than you'd think are willing to hear you out and willing to learn and experience uh, and not just turn a blind eye or to dig their heads in the sand and uh, say, um, you know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And something we need to remember as animal activists is that most people don't make a change like that overnight. There aren't that many light bulb moments in real life. Really what happens is that change comes slowly over the course of time and often as a result of multiple 
instances of things that have happened to you over the course of your life. I went vegetarian and then vegan about 10 years ago when I was about 21 years old. Uh, but there was a number of things that happened between ages like five and 21 that led to my walls eventually breaking down and realizing, hey, this is something I really want to do for the animals. So it wasn't something that happened when I was 21 necessarily. It was lots of little things along the way. And so we should remember that as animal activists, we need to do the little things to get people to, uh, you know, let their walls down a little bit. And even if the person that we're communicating with doesn't go vegetarian or vegan right away, that is one thing of many that will hopefully influence them over the course of time. Well, I think social media is the most important vehicle we have. Again, advertiser-based media does not generally show the images of the horror. And there are rare exceptions. For example, the recent Fair Oaks Horror Animal Recovery Mission, an incredible group composed, by the way, of ex-military and ex-cops in large part, went undercover uh, at this huge, huge, massive dairy farm that touted itself as humane and actually did tours with hundreds of thousands of people, including school children, coming in and hearing lies about how wonderful, how exceptional their care was for cows, like this was a big holiday for cows. Meanwhile, in another part of the facility, cows were being beaten, dragged, burned, shot, dropped on dead piles. Animal Recovery Mission courageously went undercover, not for a day, but for months to expose it. It was such a scandal, and it continues to be such a scandal, that it has inspired class action lawsuits, or what will hopefully become class action lawsuits, but a series of lawsuits against the farm, Fair Oaks, the, dis the distributor, the label, Fair Life. They supply Fair Life, which is a deep partner with Coca-Cola. And in fact, Jane Unchained uh, has uh, participated in the Umbrella Group uh, Coalition Against Cruelty to hold protests in New York, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, where Fairlife is headquarters, in Atlanta, where Coca-Cola is headquartered, in Hartford, Connecticut, in Portland, Oregon, in Houston, Texas, and in London, England. And those protests continue with another protest coming up on July 27th in Chicago. Um, social media provided a lot of the uh, publicity about that, but the mainstream media did pick up on this particular story. Why? Because of the hypocrisy. I believe it was the Chicago Tribune that even issued an editorial saying, it's basically saying it's bad enough to do this to animals, but then to promote yourself as fair life and this wonderful you know, experience for animals that it's a double betrayal. And there was another uh, commentary that um, a, a news reporter made that said, the, the name Fair Life may spell its own demise because of the deep irony of the name, the brand. Uh, and by the way, all of these are all of these companies are invited on anytime. We have specifically targeted CEO James Quincy of Coca-Cola because they expressed shock. Oh, we're so shocked 
It reminds me of the movie Casablanca, right? Where, oh, we're shocked that gambling is going on in this establishment. And we, we pointed out to them, dairy is inherently cruel, okay? Dairy is inherently cruel. So mainstream media did pick up on that. That was the exception. Let's go to a caller, Nick. What do you have to say, Nick? Oh, I think he hung up. Okay, we, we was waiting a little too long. But anyway, let me go back to you, John. Uh, why is it that the media sometimes will latch on to a story? Very rarely. I say it usually involves either animal activists getting naked or getting arrested in large numbers. You know, people attack PETA and they say, well, PETA, you know, they do these crazy demonstrations. Well, PETA holds serious news conferences all the time that the media doesn't cover. But then when they send out the lettuce ladies, then the media shows up and then they say, oh, look at this. They're they're using sexuality to get their message across. Well, when they hold the regular news conferences, giving the straight out information, the news media doesn't show up. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of that news media's hypocrisy? The news media definitely has a lot of room to improve in terms of getting this message out there. But the problem is these, the, cruel, the cruel reality that farm animals face is such a well-guarded secret by those in power. And so it is difficult. Um, and there's some, you know, the, those with power are the ones who are on the side of those committing these acts. Us animal activists, we don't have nearly quite as much political capital or power. And so the, the odds are imbalanced there. But that is why social media plays such a pivotal, a crucial role in getting the animals to have a voice. By utilizing social media in the best ways possible, you and I can make a huge, huge dent in 2019 alone, on my personal social media media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I've had over 128 million impressions of the content that I've posted at no cost to me. And this is something that anybody can do. It's utilizing this power at our fingertips to give a voice to animals. Social media is the new public square. It's now where everybody is and where we can reach people all over the globe in an instant. And so by utilizing it and by being strategic with it, you and I can make a massive difference. So as frustrating as we can, as frustrated as we can be about the media and what the media does or it doesn't show, we should also be excited about the potential to speak up for animals through social media. I agree 100%. And one of the things that I try to do when I uh, go talk to people, like I'm going to the Animal Rights Conference this week, uh, we're going to premiere our first uh, special news report, which is a just under an hour expose of animal agriculture's role in climate change. It's called Countdown to Year Zero. I urge everyone uh, to is in the D.C. area to watch it. Uh, come Anybody is invited. It's open to the public Thursday night, 845. Uh, go to my Facebook page. You'll see the events page and just sign in and come uh, because it's it's absolutely terrifying. What is coming down the pike towards us? 
And that's why I urge everybody, use social media. The clock is ticking towards our own demise right now. Animal agriculture is the leading cause of what is destroying the planet. We lay it out in our special news report very clearly with the help of a genius, one of the founders, creators of the internet. He was responsible for the ethernet part in large part, and that's Dr. Selesh Rao, a Stanford PhD who runs Climate Healers. And he lays out in this video exactly why animal agriculture is the leading cause of habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, human world hunger, human disease, and that it's accelerating to the point of no return. Either we switch to a vegan world, essentially, I'm not saying every single human being and every single animal has to go vegan. Obviously, there's obligate carnivores. But until our culture flips to a predominantly vegan world, uh, and if we don't do that in the next decade, and he says eight years, we're done. You know, we'd like to think of extinction as something that can only happen to dinosaurs. But it's happening to a million animals. Different species are threatened with extinction right now as we speak. And um, human beings can go extinct. There, less than a third of the land of the surface of the earth is land. And we are destroying that one third, less than a third, at such a rapid rate that we are literally giving the earth a buzz cut, all to grow crops to feed farm animals. 70% of soy is fed to farm animals. So children are dying of starvation while we eat farm animals that are basically, well, we don't, but society is doing it that are compressed food. It takes, you know, animals eat 40 times what they produce as, as meat. We try to explain this to people logically. And even some of the most brilliant minds out there, some of the most brilliant minds out there simply refuse to get it. Tell me progressive news media icons, you can master the nuances of the Russia investigation. You can read the Mueller report and understand everything in it. And I listened to it. Okay. I drove around and I listened to it and it's really hard to understand. And yet you can't get that 7.7 billion humans killing 70 billion plus land animals is an environmental catastrophe, you can't wrap your head around that because you like the taste of bacon? Well, we're saying, hello, wake up, your house is on fire, and you're saying, you're being obnoxious, leave me alone, I don't like your tone. Well, if, if somebody's house is on fire and you race into that house and say, wake up, your house is on fire, do you expect the person to wake up and look at you and say, my gosh, you're being so loud. Tone it down. I don't want to hear all this negativity. This is essentially what's going on right now. And we're all losing our minds because we're like, wake up. All right, we're going to take a brief break. We're here with John Oberg, who's an incredible, legendary social media influencer for animals, the environment, the planet, people. It's all connected. we got a caller. We'll take the caller right on the other side of the break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? 
Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead. join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hey there, Jane Velez Mitchell here for Jane Unchained News Network. It's a 501c3 nonprofit to spread the word using 70-plus citizen journalists to spread the word on social media about how we're destroying our planet with animal agriculture. And there's another way. We're here with John Oberg, who has helped organizations like the Humane League and Vegan Outreach spread the word. He's got the key to social media. So we're learning from him today. Uh, our caller, Lisa Carlin, Farming, Maine. Uh, what's your question or thought, Lisa? Hey, so nice to meet you and that you're doing this um, this show today. John, what I'm interested in is because the paradigm keeps changing, and my daughter has quite a social media following on Instagram and on Facebook a little bit, but mostly on Instagram, and the paradigm keeps changing, and uh, the engagement keeps changing. So what are the strategies to continue to reach your following, And um, if you know, and um, is it placing ads? Is it placing um, How much should people actually pay? So... In order, in order to keep this up and, and, and have a, a consistent engagement? That's a fantastic question. And the answer is we have to keep changing with the times. These algorithms are constantly changing. And so what Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and other social media platforms want to put in front of your eyes changes all the time. So you kind of have to change with the times. And so, for example, over the last few years, uh, Facebook has really prioritized posts that create conversation. And so when you're cr- putting posts out there that are encouraging people to have dialogue in the comments section, Facebook says, okay, this is a post that we want to prioritize in news feeds. And so more people are going to see that post. And so you have to change with the times. Do your research. Do experimenting. So Try different kinds of posts and see what resonates with your audience. 
everyone's audience is different, especially if you start filling these niches, like, you know, my niche is vegan activism. It's a very small niche, but within that niche, people are very passionate and, and, and you know, willing to engage with your posts and engage with you as an individual. And so as much as we can change with the times. So you're okay. talking about that. And right now I'm sharing and I see that the format for sharing has once again changed. Almost like every single time I go on to share, it's a different thing that I have to learn. And so that is the key to learning in any case. You, you know, as a reporter, I would go out every day for 38 years and start with generally a subject I knew nothing about. And I had to get the who, what, when, where, why of whatever it was, an acid spill. Uh, well, what, what are the chemicals involved? What is the danger? I knew nothing about it. And I think it was Albert Einstein who said, if you can't explain something simply so that everybody can understand it, you don't understand it yourself well enough. So it's really about going into confusion and breaking it down and coming out the other end and, uh, and coming out the other end with a concept which can constantly change. Or as somebody said, pivoting. Don't consider what you do a mistake. Just pivot. Look at the social media giants. They don't say, oh, we made a mistake because we did it this way. They're just pivoting, 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 pivoting. And we as activists need to do that. My message is everybody with a cell phone has a network. What is a network? It's a production company with a pipeline, a distribution system, a pipeline to an audience. Everybody who has friends on Facebook has a network. You should have everybody who's an animal activist should have as many friends as they can, 4,999. 4, and then just keep that one for that special person who comes along. Because here's the thing, John, there's just too many people on this planet to talk to them individually. And a lot of activists expend a lot of energy trying to convince their relatives, trying to convince their best friends. I've given up on that. Because the closer you are to a person, the more resistant they are, generally. Go for the low-hanging fruit. Talk to strangers. I've, in the last couple of weeks, convinced three people to go vegan. I barely know them. But yet, some, some people I know for years, decades, I can't get through to them because they're taking it personally. They're taking offense. So, what is your message to convince activists who are watching, vegans who are watching, to use this tool. That's fantastic. And the evidence is the numbers are there. The impact is there. We can each influence so many by strategically using social media, by strategically using this power at our fingertips. And you talk about friends and family. I 100% agree with you. Focusing on friends and family is not the best strategy when you can reach so many people out there on the streets or on or on social media. When I got, first got involved with activism 10 years ago, uh, social media wasn't quite as heavily used as it is today and certainly wasn't used to uh, you know, spread media like it is today, uh, spread photos and videos like it is quite so much today. And so back then, I thought, 
you know what? I want to reach as many people as possible. I can go hand out leaflets at college campuses around the street corner, and I can reach hundreds or even thousands of people in a day with uh, this pamphlet. Whereas if I focus on my friends and family, that might be, you know, maybe you eventually convince your mom to go vegetarian, or maybe, you know, you uh, eventually convince your grandma to try meatless Mondays. Those are possibilities, but the amount of resources, energy, effort it takes to accomplish that is so much. And the, the problem that we're facing for animals is so great, and it, it's such a, uh, a dire situation that we need to be effective, and we need to reach as many people as possible, and social media provides us that opportunity to reach all those people. And so uh, with social media now, uh, you can reach thousands, even millions of people every single day by strategically using it. And that's something that I try to do in my efforts is to get animal activists to recognize the power of their hands and how to use that to their advantage, to the animal's advantage. And we've got a caller, Paige, Maryland, your question or thought, Paige. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Hi, you guys. Okay, John, this is the burning question. There's two things I want to know. First of all, what do you feel is your most proud moment with the Humane Lake or what was the other group? Uh, Oh, the Vegan Outreach, right? Okay. And then number two is how do we tap into your secret sauce? I mean, I'm spinning my wheels and I haven't even reached 2,000 people on my social media. And I feel like I'm kind of doing some things that other people are doing. So, I mean, you know, so, I mean, I want to know. (laughs) How do I get some of that secret sauce? Well, great to hear from you, Paige. Uh, Happy to share my secret sauce with you. And I'm also in Maryland. So, uh, you know, awesome to all those Marylanders out. So, uh, yeah, I am... My proudest moment, I would say, uh, back when I worked at the Humane League, was getting us to have over 1 billion impressions of our social media posts in the three years that I ran their social media. Uh, Accomplishing that was uh, great importance to me. And the thing is, these are just numbers, and they're kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. Like, honestly... 10,000 sounds it is like the same as 1 billion as far as people's ability to comprehend. But 1 billion means that a lot of individuals have seen the message that farm animals face and said, wow, this is something I don't want to support anymore. I am no longer going to consume animals. I am no longer going to contribute to this abuse. So that is one of the things that I'm certainly most proud of in my overall career. And my secret sauce is just constantly fine-tuning my approach, looking at what's working and doing more of that, and looking at what's not working and doing less of that, and balancing this out in a way that is personable and that is getting the message across in a way that is resonating with my audiences. Okay, I want to jump in. Give us an example, because I think a lot of people consider it very mysterious. And I've gone to social media conferences and I've listened to people talk and everything seems very theoretical. So it would be great to give an example of how you pivoted on something specifically with a specific platform. Sure. 
So the you're familiar with the vigils there in Los Angeles. I lived in Los Angeles for two years and I, I attended many of these vigils that were held outside of slaughterhouses where we would film and uh, film the pigs as they arrived on these slaughterhouse trucks in front of the slaughterhouse. And you know, many people would give these pigs water. Uh, it was a very moving experience every time you would get out there, but that you could get really uh, high quality footage of these pigs on these trucks. And I got dozens of really great videos that will ensure that these animals' lives were not in vain. And so as I got these videos, I have shared them periodically with my audience over the course of the last two or three years. And they always perform really well because for one, it's not overly graphic. Uh, it's sad, it's heart-wrenching, but it's not overly graphic. I'm not showing uh, you know, blood or gore. I'm showing sadness and reality. And then also the fact that I'm the one who filmed it, uh, that gives me credibility and that uh, is something that people can see and say, oh, wow, you know, I follow John. I like John. John did this thing. Wow, that really, uh, that really makes an impact on me. And then, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a normal person. So they say, wow, I can go out there and do this too. And, and, you know, this is just, you know, one normal person's observations. And now I'm observing it. And now I'm feeling a certain way because of it. And, you know, we uh, at Jane and Chain go live. There's six, there's 600 plus vigils now uh, around the world and growing fast. Thanks to Anita Krines and the SAFE movement. Um, really extraordinary genius uh, person. Anita Krines is so, so inspiring. And uh, we go live as well. One of the things that we found when we go live almost, well, literally we have a rotating group of people who go live at the vigils once a week. And we've been doing that, uh, and Los Angeles is the largest vigil. One of the things that I notice is the first three to ten seconds are crucial. If you start with the truck coming down the block, well, a truck is a truck is a truck. Until you get closer, you can't see the horror of it. So I try to wait when I'm going live right till the truck stops. I go in. I try to get a shot of the pigs, uh, and then um, – with lighting, because sometimes it takes a little while for the lights that are bounced up. We don't throw the lights right on the pigs because we don't want to scare them. We want a comfort that we put them to the ceiling and then it creates a nice light. And then when I get that light, I hit live. Because even if the person watching watches for three seconds, in that three seconds, they see that pig in that truck and that goes right in here to the brain. And they can't unforget that. And so for me, one of the tricks that I've learned is those first three to 10 seconds are crucial when you go live. And also the steadiness, you have to um, have a stabilizer, which is cheap. Uh, every one of our contributors gets a stabilizer and there are less than a hundred bucks on Amazon, smooth Q, and it provides a smooth video because people don't want to watch shaky videos. So when you say you go live, are you talking about Facebook? Or are you talking about Instagram? Can you tell us specifically what your favorite platform is? Yeah, well, 
the best platform to focus most of your energy on is obviously where you're the long, largest reach, where you can reach the most amount of individuals. That being said, I think that everybody should spread their time out across different social media platforms because if you invest too much into one platform and that platform falls out of favor, then you are, uh, you know, you kind of wasted a lot of time and resources. For example, MySpace. You know, when is the last time you heard from MySpace, Tom? Uh, probably like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you should focus your energy on uh, plat- plat- a variety of platforms. What's and your platform? What's your favorite platform? So my favorite platform as far as just scrolling through a newsfeed and my personal. Oh, I mean, I mean, your what's your most successful platform? Well, I want to say that my I actually want to say that my favorite doesn't matter. My favorite is Instagram, but it doesn't matter because I want to focus on the platform where I want to reach the most amount of people. For me, that's Twitter. Uh, in, in 2019 alone, I've had over 80 million impressions of my tweets. So over 80 million times. And that is because uh, I have an audience who is very supportive and wants to share the content that I am posting. So the idea is to get lots and lots of retweets. Facebook, I've had about 47 million impressions of my content. Um, And also there, I've got a passionate audience who recognizes the cruelty that farm animals are facing is something worth worth getting into the news feeds of their followers. So when you go live, where are you going live? Uh, when I go live, I go live in, I don't go live too often, but when the opportunity presents itself, I do. Uh, so I've gone live at protests. No, what, what platform? Oh, platform. Yeah. I really, I really like Facebook live. I think that's the best platform for going live. Instagram yeah. and Twitter, are good too, but Facebook's the best. Yeah. Uh, what we do is we go live on Facebook and then we cut it down for Instagram and Instagram TV. So uh, we have, um, you know, 70 plus contributors who go live. And then we have Kenzaya Rubens, who's our Instagram person who cuts them down and makes them flashier. And he's a young man. And he kind of knows that uh, Instagram has a certain different kind of appeal than Facebook. It's a very young demo. And they the, the viewers like certain things. They like highly produced graphics with all sorts of gizmos on them. So we try to provide that. But yeah, we're learning every single day. And uh uh, growing. And, and here's the thing that, that I think is fascinating is that a lot of it is free. Sure. You know, we boost posts and that's what we primar- primarily gather fundraising for is to boost the posts. But the great part about uh, social media is that it's so free compared to um, other media. I mean, I remember we tried to few years ago, wanted to place an ad in a small newspaper in Florida uh, over a monkey breeding facility. And it was so expensive. And I was like, what? This little tiny newspaper in, in the middle of a very um, rural county was for that money, you could spend, you could reach so many people on Facebook. And so it is, I believe, the cheapest form of advertising that exists today. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. And the great thing about doing that on Facebook is micro-targeting, targeting targeting specifically who you want to target. Um, 
But I want to mention that the 120 plus impression, 120 million impressions of my content in 2019 has come organically, not at the cost of placing ads. And that's because I've looked at what works and what doesn't and constantly fine-tuned my approach. And this is replicable and people can follow the same kinds of ideas without investing lots and lots of money. What I've invested is my time and my energy, which is why I've built up my Patreon. So patreon.com slash John Oberg is where I have over 100 people who recognize the work that I'm doing is important and want to support me. And in return, they also get some really cool stuff. So that's a really great way of focusing on building up community and building up a voice for the animals. Yeah, and I certainly urge everyone to support your Patreon page because, look, there are people who give huge amounts to major organizations, and there's nothing wrong with that if the organizations are good organizations like PETA, Mercy for Animals, the Humane League, uh, Animal Equality, uh, Last Chance for Animals. I mean, there's a lot of really great big organizations. Social Compassionate Legislation, which isn't a big organization, but which is a very effective organization passing a whole bunch of laws in California. PETA, um, and I'm a big fan of PETA, you know, uh, they literally create fake nonprofits to attack PETA. Why? Because they're so successful at uh, waking people up to the horrors of animal agriculture and passing laws and getting a terrible experiment shut down, et cetera. Uh, so uh, I do feel, though, that individuals such as yourself who are laser, who are going in on a specific thing uh, like a, a mission, it's also extremely important. So uh, I urge everybody to support your Patreon, and it can be a very small amount, right? I mean, you could support it for $10 a month, $5 a month. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. $5 a month is the tier that you can start out with. And it really goes a long way in terms of making this work possible and it's scalable. So the more support I have, the more effort I'm, and resources I'm able to put into this and reach more individuals. And I'm, I'm not just focused on getting lots and lots of views of the content. I'm also focused on getting the animal rights movement to be more effective in terms of how they use social media and beyond, both in tactics and communication. All right, we've got a caller, Lindsay Tarzana. Your question or thought, Lindsay? Yes, hi, Jane. Um, hi. My question actually was about the project on Patreon, but I came up with another one. Uh, when you're managing several social media accounts, as you say, you're, you have more followers on certain, certain accounts, and those are the ones you should concentrate on. But we all have at least Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. How do you manage all those accounts? Good question. This is my question. Yeah. It can be time-consuming. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's a large part of what I spend uh, every week. But a lot of people out there who have full-time jobs that aren't dealing with social media, you don't have necessarily the time. So – what I recommend doing is doing as much as you can within reason and some tools that make that more po possible. I really like Buffer. So Buffer.com is a third-party tool to schedule content. So I schedule Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter posts through Buffer. And this is extremely helpful in terms of me being able to focus on uh, 
various tasks throughout the day without feeling like I have to jump on there and post. So I can use all my creativity at once and then schedule posts for the next week or two and then check the posts throughout the day. And that is a big time saver and allows me to be creative all at once. Let me ask you, uh, the algorithms, as you say, are changing and because of various you know, scandals and this, that, and the other, um, there, uh, there's a general sense that social media is sending out to fewer and fewer people. That when it, when it was more like Wild West and loose and free, it, you'd do a post and it'd be sent out to thousands and thousands of people, and now it's hundreds of people, and uh, that it's been you know, changing. What are your thoughts on that, and how do you work around that? Absolutely. The reach is definitely down, um, especially on Facebook. Um, it's, it's, this, it's something we have to deal with. It's the nature of the beast. Uh, I wish it was like it was you know, five, six years ago when, uh, you know, I would be unhappy if post, when I was working for Vegan Outreach, I would be unhappy if a post of ours got less than 10,000 likes. Uh, so uh, it, times have certainly changed and we have to change with them. And for that reason, it's become more and more important that we're making sure that all the content we're pushing out is content that's going to resonate with our audience. And when I'm talking about making the animal rights movement more effective, one of the things I try and stress is don't push content that isn't going to get your audience to engage. If you're posting content that is not getting engagement, that's hurting your place in the algorithm. That is telling Facebook that, hey, the content I'm pushing out there isn't something that people are overly interested in. You want Facebook, Instagram, Twitter to think, wow, John Oberg's content is super important, super relevant, so we're going to push it out to more people. And what about trolls? Because a lot of times the engagement comes, if everybody's agreeing in Kumbaya, um, it doesn't create that kind of back and forth, but sometimes we'll get, oh, Rico just saw a dog out the window. Uh, uh, yes, growling, exactly. Sometimes we'll get arguments or people will, will be at the vigil going live and you know, somebody will go, mmm, bacon, or I'm making pork chops right now. And, uh, you know, it's sad that that's their reaction, but then people will respond. Uh, that's engagement, right? Yeah, well, just like that dog outside is trolling Rico, uh, we as animal activists face many trolls on social media on a regular basis, and that's okay. To be honest with you, people aren't going to be eating more animals as a result of our work. So don't let trolls get you down. Trolls are a sign of success, but also we can manipulate trolls into actually helping us. And I actually uh, have been talking about this recently, how I think it's actually wise to sometimes use trolls to our advantage. The other day I posted a, uh, a picture of, or a video of a turkey getting, uh, getting, some, uh, getting petted and, uh, and certainly loving it. And uh, the caption was written in a way that would attract trolls. And what, I, how was the caption written? Uh, the caption was written, um, if everybody saw uh, turkeys like this, nobody would eat turkey. And I knew that a lot of trolls would see that and say, oh, but I'm still going to eat turkey. And so when I wrote like this, I ended up getting over a thousand tweet replies to that video from people saying, I would still eat turkey. And 
that is actually awesome because that told Twitter, wow, this is a really good tweet. Let's put it in more news feeds. And as a result of those thousand comments, that video got hundreds of thousands more views than it otherwise would have if everybody was just like, you know, thumbs up. So that is actually a way that we can manipulate trolls to our benefit and to the animal's benefit. So let me ask you, when it comes to what I've noticed, and again, I'm just learning this from scratch. I have no pre-existing expertise, but as a journalist, obviously headlines are an art form. We all remember the famous headline, topless bar, what was it? A headless body and topless bar. (laughs) That's a famous classic headline. So I do try when I... um, do the headlines and in Facebook, correct me if I'm wrong, you have to boost it, even if you boost it for $10 to get that headline to appear. Uh, they don't put the headlines up for uh, every post, but when you boost it, uh, then they create that whole um, sort of, it looks more like an ad. And so I find that the headlines are super important. So when, when there was a protest against Coca-Cola recently in Times Square, I said, the stunning reason why these people dropped to the ground in Times Square, like a tease, not to give it away, as opposed to saying something like animal rights activists protest Coca-Cola over uh, abuse scandal, uh, that it, it, you're teasing people. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, the caption is so important. And to get people to feel a sense of outrage, anger, emotion. That's what you need. You need people to feel emotion so they feel compelled to take action. And what's the action they're going to take on social media? They're going to like, comment, but most importantly, share. And by sharing your post, it's going to get more reach. You're going to get more followers. You're going to get more engagement. And so phrasing captions in a way that is going to encourage as much sharing as possible and as much emotion as possible is best. And anger is actually what data shows to be the most effective emotion to appeal to. So by making your audience angry, they're more likely to take action and to spread the message. Yes, but then we get criticized for being angry vegans. So how do you moderate that? How How do you navigate that? That's why you phrase it in a way that makes them angry, but doesn't make you look overly angry we have to have this balance of feeling angry about a situation but also coming off as rational and reasonable reasonable and so it might take a lot of effort to experiment with your social with your audience on social media to see what resonates with them and how you can best find this middle ground but you really got to find this middle ground so um Where are we? How grade the social uh, media for animal rights? Grade us. Give us a grade. Okay. I would say a B minus. Mm. Uh, we're doing pretty good, but we are not doing nearly well enough. We are not taking as much advantage as we can. We, as animal activists, need to think about two, uh, a few things. One, how, is our, how are our tactics going to work to maximize the amount of views 
and engagement our posts are going to get. But then also number two, how is our communication going to be received by non-vegans? Because ultimately what matters is how non-vegans appreciate it, not vegans. Vegans are essentially net neutrals in terms of suffering, but meat eaters are the ones out there causing harm to animals. And so we need to reach that. We need them to take our message more seriously. Yeah. um, You know, one of the things that just bugs me the most is when people see the content and they go, I love your passion. It's like, I don't want you to love my passion. I want you to stop killing animals. The idea that they refuse to acknowledge that they are participating in killing of animals is the single most annoying aspect of this entire movement. It's like if I was driving my car into a herd of animals and then I got out of the car and said, gee, uh, I love the passion of the people who are like shocked at what they're seeing. That's, that's really interesting that they're showing so much passion, never acknowledging that I actually drove my car into a herd of animals. This complete disconnect where people feel entitled to act as if they're not participating in killing animals while they are killing animals and calling themselves animal lovers is the single most frustrating thing. What can we do about it? Because we've only got a minute left, John. Well, we can recognize that uh, people may want to turn a blind eye, but ultimately most people will come around. It takes a lot to look at the behavior you're doing and recognize that it's wrong. Nobody wants to believe that they're a bad person. And if you poll people, I would say 99.999% of people are going to say that they're a good person, even though the vast majority of people are actually eating animals. And so we need to slowly get people to recognize that the behavior that they're engaging in on a regular basis, i.e. eating animals, is something that's going against the ethics that they already have. And by using social media to get the message out there to show how animals are really being raised and treated, we are doing that. Well, you are an inspiration. Uh, I have tried to... uh, pivot every second of the day, always thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And it's, you know, it's reassuring to know that there's no formula out there that I just don't have, that everybody's figuring it out on their own. Uh, I urge everyone share this video, please um, contribute to John's Patreon and um, like Jane Unchained. And then beyond the sharing and the liking, look, I'm a busy person. And it doesn't matter what's happening. When I get an email from PETA or Mercy for Animals or one of these groups saying, take action now, I immediately stop everything I'm doing and I take action now. And it takes 30 seconds to sign a petition. Then I hit share and I share it on Facebook. And I say, it took me 10 seconds, do this. But that, you can't stop there. Literally the survival of the planet depends on vegans, people going vegan and vegans getting active. And the best way to get active is this phone that you're holding in your hand, do not say, oh, I don't like Facebook or Instagram or this or that, or I don't like social media. It's all we have standing between us and an apocalypse. And that's no exaggeration. Uh, It sounds crazy, but it's true. Animal agriculture is killing us 
And in 10 years, we are going to have an ecological collapse on this planet if we don't wake people up. So thank you, John, for all you do. Uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you for sharing. And we will see you next time. Right, Rico? He says, yep. Okay, bye. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.